Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, CityWalk. How are we doing? Y'all all right? Y'all look at, I'm like, oh yeah. And if you are a child or if you'd like to be a child, you can go with the pin zones. They're going to be, go- Jerry, go ahead, man. We, 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 we're all childlike, right? Uh, the pin zones are going to be leading our city kids ministry today. We're thankful for them and thankful for our team that serves children. And so they'll be back. If you're new to, to City Walk, uh, they'll be back at the end of the service. You might be like, you know what? You can actually keep my kids a little longer than that, which we could arrange that too. But they'll be back in the last song. They'll come and uh, join you. And so uh, today is a good day to have an app instead of a, a Bible because it's a little windy. So you may want to open up your app. And, and in the app, the City Walk app, you'll see the notes for today. You'll also see uh, a Bible right in the app that you can use uh, that may be helpful today uh, since it's a, just a tad windy. Um, some of you know, uh, I grew up and I've share, I share a little bit about my family. Uh, I grew up in a family with three boys. And so I w- I'm the oldest of three boys. And so in our family, that's probably going to be, uh, y- y'all are all right with that, right? We can deal with that today. Okay. Uh, I'm the oldest of three boys. And in our family, probably if you grew up with boys or if you grew up with girls that were really competitive, our backyard became a football field. Uh, our front driveway became a basketball court. Our living room became a wrestling ring. And uh, that was just the way things happened in a house of three boys. And uh, we were very competitive. And we got to a place where, man, we would, we would have a lot of fun with our friends, several friends in the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, we'd play different sports. And, and there were once in a while, I know you, this is hard for you to believe, once in a while, the competitiveness went a little bit over the top and attitudes started to go bad. And every now and then, even some punches started to get thrown because that competitiveness uh, maybe went a little bit far. And with, with, uh, with my mom, my mom wasn't one that really liked that. Uh, she wasn't one that was really into her boys getting in fights. And so my mom did something that was really cruel And what she would make us do when we would get into a fight is she would make us hug it out. And so when you're in a a house of three boys, and at this point, man, we're teenagers, my my mom would make us, and every now and then, just to take it over the top, she would make us kiss each other if we got into an argument. And and, and if you know my mom, she'll actually be here in in about a month. And if you, you met my mom, you would understand. Like, that's just the way she, she did things. And she could care less what anyone else thinks. Her boys were going to love each other. And if that meant that they had to hug or kiss each other when they got into an argument, when, com- when the competitiveness went a little too far, 
that was what was going to happen. And so that happened. And so for us, hugging and all that, that was terrible. But probably the worst thing was when we had to admit that we were wrong. So, so we, as bad as we hated hugging it out, the thing that was absolutely like the worst thing to do with your brothers was be able to go to them and say, hey, I'm sorry and I was wrong. It was my fault. None of us like to do that. And, and, and as little boys, that was something we hated. But unfortunately, and you know this, admitting you're wrong doesn't get easier as you get older. In fact, in some ways, admitting you're wrong actually gets a little tougher. I mean, how many of us like to go into the boss's office and say, hey, the reason we lost that account, on me, my fault. How many of us like to stand before our, our team and say, hey, the reason I lo we lost the game was because I, it was my fault. How many of us like to sit down with our friend and say, hey, you know that big argument, that big blow up that we just had? Actually, it was all on me because of my selfishness. None of us like to admit that we're wrong, no matter if we're 14 or we're 84. It's just not something we like to do. And a few weeks ago, we started a series called uh, Underdog, and we were looking at some of the greatest comebacks in all of Scripture. And today, we're going to look at a story about two ladies, a lady by the name of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And we're going to look at the unlikely comeback of these two ladies. And we're going to watch how when, when Naomi admitted that she was going the wrong way, when she came to a place where she said, hey, I was wrong, we were wrong, it changed everything for them. If you have your app or your Bible, you can turn to Ruth chapter 1. It's, it's one of the shortest books in the Bible. And it's, it's the name of the book is Ruth, and it's all about the story of these two ladies. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. We're talking about Israel. And it says, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and two sons... The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahon and Chilion. Things are flying in the background. It's all good. So, so there's this, this family, and there's a famine in the land. There's a famine in, the, in, in Israel. And so this guy named Elimelech, who, I mean, obviously kind of a weird name, but man, this guy named Elimelech, who was married to Naomi and had two sons, said, you know what? We're going to get out of town. We're going to get out of Israel and we're going to go somewhere else. We're going to go to a place called Moab, where in Moab, they didn't worship the God that, that the Israelites worshiped. It wasn't a place that he probably should have taken his family. But for him, it was like, man, there's a famine in the land and I'm going to kind of get out from under this tough situation and I'm going to take my family and we're going to go to Moab. And it, Moab was about 50 miles away. And for people back then, it might as well have been the moon. I mean, 50 miles, they didn't like have a car to jump in. So it was kind of a long way. And so they went, they, they went to Moab and, and when they were in Moab, things didn't go the way that Elimelech planned. And, and so you can probably relate to this guy, Elimelech. You can probably relate to this guy. 
Are you, are you the type of person, and probably all of us would say, hey, I, I've done this before. When the pressure is on, when, when you're facing a hard time, is it your natural reaction to be kind of, man, I want to skate out from under this hard time, and I want to get somewhere where it's a little easier. And that's kind of what Elimelech did. He said, man, there's a hard time, and I don't, I don't care why this hard time's around, but I want to get out from under it, and I want to get somewhere where this is a little easier. And, and here's what his plan was. His plan was to stay in Moab for just a little time. He, he wasn't planning to stay there forever. But he, he just wanted to get out from under the hard time in Israel. But, but here's what happened. It, it didn't go as Elimelech planned. Because he was doing something. He was moving out from under what God had for him. And, and it, it didn't go well for him. Here, here's what happened. It says this in verse 3. It says, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. So Elimelech, he, he moves them, man, we're going to get out from under the hard time. We're going to go to Moab, and, and we're, life's going to be better. We're not going to stay there long, but man, we don't want to go through tough times, so we're going to get out from under it. He gets there, and it doesn't go well. He dies. But here's Naomi. She still has two sons. So for her, as bad as it was to lose her husband, it's like, okay, at least I have my two boys. Everything's going to still be okay. And so the two boys got married. One of them married a lady named Ruth, and one of them named a, a lady named Oprah. And not Oprah Winfrey, what a different, different lady named that. They got married, and so, oh, life's good. Naomi, the two boys, the, the daughter-in-laws, they're in Moab. Okay, life's okay. And, and listen to what happened. It says this, they lived there about 10 years. And both of her sons died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And so now Naomi is all by herself in a foreign land. Her, her two sons and husband have died young. They're gone. And now they're in a position where they don't have support. There, there's no financial support that they can count on. They, they don't have an heir. So for, for, for Naomi, she was going to be the last person in the family. There was going to be no children because there was no sons. And life was bad. And, and Naomi had to make a decision. She had to make a decision. Am I going to stay here? And, and, and we made a mistake by coming here. Am I going to stay here? Or what am I going to do? And in the very next verse, in verse 6, it says this. And she arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So Naomi is all by herself. She has her two daughter-in-laws. They're, they're in a land that is, is a foreign land for them. They have nothing going for them. And all of a sudden, and, and this happens to some of us sometimes, Naomi is in a, a different place, but she's hearing about how God is blessing people in Israel, how the famine is over. And so, and, and maybe, have you ever had your, kind of put yourself in that position where 
in your life, you're not experiencing God's blessing, but you hear about other people that are experiencing it, and you just aren't in a place where you are experiencing it, but you continue to hear that, you know what, God's doing something in other places. That's where Naomi was. And so Naomi said, hey, girls, let's go back. I I hear the famine's over. Let's go back to Israel. And so that's what she does. She set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. That word return is really important. It's actually, that word is used 12 times in the very first chapter. See, Naomi realized that, you know what? We made a mistake. We went the wrong direction. We shouldn't have moved when it was a famine. We shouldn't have moved from where God had us to a place that was a little bit easier at the moment, but wasn't what was best for our family. We shouldn't have done that. And now she finds herself... And she's reversed the direction and she says, you know what? She comes to a place where she realizes that to move forward, I must be willing to turn around and give up control. Let me me read that statement again because this statement was a catalyst for her the rest of her life. And honestly, I think for some of us, this statement can be a catalyst to some major changes. Naomi realized this. To move forward, I must be willing to turn around and give up control. And so that's what Naomi did. She and her two daughters-in-laws started there on their way back. But Naomi starts to feel guilty because she knows there's nothing for my daughter-in-laws back in Judah. And she, she literally pleads with her daughter-in-laws and says, Oprah and Ruth, stay here. Don't come back with me. Don't, 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 I, I get it. I, and they must have had a great relationship, but, but don't go with me because there's nothing for you back in Judah. If you stay in Moab, you'll probably meet another guy. You'll get married. You'll be able to have kids. Stay here. And Oprah, the, the one said, okay. And, and, and you can tell even for her, it was hard, but she said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'll stay. But here's what Ruth said. Here's what Ruth's response was to Naomi. She said this. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more if anything but death parts us. And so Ruth says, you know what? I'm turning my back on everything I've known and I'm following you. I'm believing in your God. I'm living where you live. I'm going to be in the same nation you're a part of. I'm going to die where you die. I'm turning my back on all that I grew up with and I'm following you. And that's what she did. And so Ruth and Naomi, they arrived back to Judah. And they're in a spot now where, hey, they're back home, but that doesn't guarantee things are going to go well. Because again, they, they at this point had no way to support themselves. And so when they first get back, Ruth says, you know what? I'm 20 something years old. You're an older lady. You know what? I'll go out and I'll, I'll try to find some work. And in our society, a lady going out finding work would be pretty easy. But in this society... 
It wasn't like there was a lot of like help wanted and we're hiring ladies. There wasn't a lot of that going on. And so here's what Ruth had to do. She was a peasant in this country. They were poor. And so what they would do is they would go and they would go to fields of farmers. And farmers back in this time cared about the poor, or at least they acted like they did. And so what they would do in all the fields is they would leave the corners of the fields unharvested. And they would also, if things fell to the ground when they were harvesting, they would leave those and poor people could come to their fields and just gather as much as they could from the corners and from, from the uh, ground that fell down. And so that's what, that's what Ruth said. She said, I'll, I'll go and I'll, uh, I'll find a field and I'll, I'll just go look in the corners and I'll try to just gather enough food for us to survive. And in God's sovereignty, Ruth goes to the field of a relative of Naomi's named Boaz. She goes to this field and she, again, it's just trying to find a field. She, in her mind, she's not going to find Boaz's field, but God led her to this field. And she begins to, to, to like all the other poor people, she begins to just kind of try to gather enough food to just take care of her and Naomi for a little while. And, and Boaz, he, he sees Boaz is in charge of this field and he says, hey, uh, who's this new girl? And he's not like probably attracted to her. I mean, he, Boaz is like 40 or 50. She's in her 20s. But he notices like there's somebody new out there. Who's this new girl? And, and here's what kind of the guy that was running Boaz's farm said when he said that. He said, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. See, Ruth had a reputation already in that area for being this, this Moabite woman that sacrificed everything she had to come and help take care of her mother-in-law. And so, man, that her reputation, Boaz had heard of her to the point where now Boaz says, hey, man, we're, we're going to take care of Ruth. And, and he does things that he doesn't do for anybody else. He, he tells his, his guys that are working the farm, he says, hey, make sure you guys put a little extra out for Ruth. And he talks to Ruth and he says, hey, Ruth, when, when we come in for lunch and when we have refreshments and all that, like you're, you're welcome. You come in, you eat with us, you, you be a part of, of our team here. And, and he told, like I said, he told his guys, hey, make sure she, she leaves with a lot of food. And so that's what happened. So Naomi, imagine this. Ruth is out on her first day of work, just trying to survive. Boaz, like he, he blesses her. Ruth goes home with two weeks worth of food from one day of work. And, and so here's, here's what happens. Naomi's not an idiot. She's starting to see God doing something here. And, and here's what she says in, in verse 20 of chapter 2. She says, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead, Naomi also said to her, the, this man, Boaz, he's a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. You say, what? What is that? Here, here's, in this society, this is crazy, but this is how it worked. When a, when a, a woman was married 
And when she, when her husband died early and there were no children, her brother, if there was, or his brother, if there was a brother was obligated to marry that girl to make sure she didn't lose any of her land, the family's land, and basically have a child with her that would continue the brother's name. And if there was no brothers, you went to like your closest relative, like Uncle Joe, you're our redeemer. It's kind of sick. It kind of sounds weird, but that's how it worked. And so what Naomi, she's starting to put two and two together, what God's starting to do. And she says, and Ruth's not probably totally understanding this yet, but she says, hey, Ruth, did you know that Boaz, you know, the dude that's in charge, you know, owns that whole field that's being real nice to you. He's actually one of our close relatives. He's actually one of the guys in line to be our redeemer. And again, Ruth probably doesn't understand this totally, but she, Naomi's starting to understand this. And, and she comes to a spot where she, she tells him and she says, hey, you, Naomi says, you go back to that field and you keep working that field and let's just watch what happens. And that's what she did. She went back and she was able to work for the entire harvest. And, and it was really a blessing to her, Naomi. But then we come to chapter three after Ruth has been working in Boaz's field and, you know, continuing to be blessed and bringing home a lot of food. And Naomi says, hey, we're about to take this thing to another level now. It's, it's time to, to make a move. And so in verse in chapter three, verse one, here's what Naomi does. She says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? She says, shouldn't I help you out? I, she felt she wanted to make sure that Ruth was going to be secure, that her future was going to be good. And so she says, hey, it's kind of my job. I, I need to help you. We got to get you a man. We got to get you secure. We got to take care of you. And she says this in verse two, is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at your threshing floor. So she says, hey, remember Boaz, our relative? He's going to be at the threshing floor tonight. He's going to be working. And so here's the plan. And here's, here's what Naomi says to Ruth. Wash, therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. She's like, let the boy have a full stomach and get, get something in his system. And then this, we're going to work this plan. She says, when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go. And this is, this is weird what it says here, but I guess this is the way they did it. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Like, you know, engagement stories, you know, we try to make them really special. We try to be really creative. Well, here was the creative engagement story of Ruth. I want you to go down to where Boaz is working. When he's done working, I want you to lay next to him and I want you to uncover his feet. And in that world, that was basically Ruth asking Boaz to marry her, which again, seems weird that uh, this girl would approach this guy and ask this guy to marry her. But in this society, because Ruth was so young, 
Boaz would never approach her. He would never pursue her. And so for, for, the, for them to get married and things to move forward the way Naomi thought it should, Ruth had to take a bold step. And so Ruth did. I mean, what does Ruth have to lose? Like, I'm, I'm in another country. I'm, like, working these fields with all these people. What do I have to lose? And, and so she did this. Ruth, a 20-something peasant girl, goes to Boaz, a successful, respected, wealthy man who's probably 20 years older than her, and basically ask him to marry and redeem their family. She did exactly what Naomi set, told her to do. And here's what Boaz's response was. He says this, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. I, I am one of your close relatives. That is true. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. There's another relative who's actually closer in line than me. He's basically saying there's one guy. So remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So basically Boaz says, hey, you, there, Uncle Bob is actually closer to you than me or whoever it is. So you, we need to approach him first and ask him, like, you're, he's the one in line to do this. If he says no, then I, I'm, I'm glad to do it. But we got to check with him first, which again, really weird, but this is the way it worked. And so Boaz, he, he was a really respectable guy. He did the right thing. He, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He approached this dude and he said, hey, you, you know, Ruth, Oh yeah, Ruth, yeah, the Moabite woman with Naomi, yeah, yeah. Well, well, you're closer to her than me. Do you want to redeem her? Do you want to buy back her land and, and Naomi's land? Do you want to have kids and the whole thing? And he's like, no, man, you're good. You, you can have her. And so Boaz says, okay. And so that what happens is after Boaz goes to the closer relative, he gets the kind of okay. And, and so he goes to Ruth and they get married and they have a kid. And, and they have a, a, a boy, and they name their boy Obed. And, and I want you to think about it. And some of you, this isn't hard for you to think about because you're a grandma or you're a grandpa. But I want you to think about where Naomi was just a few years earlier. She was in Moab without a husband, without sons, with no future, no hope, brokenhearted. And now she, her daughter-in-law is married to Boaz and she is holding their grandbaby boy named Obed. And, and man, she's, she's got to be excited and man like, wow, this is how good God is. And, and so she's holding Obed one day and, and some of the ladies, she's with some of her friends. Here's what some of her friends said. It says this, then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. 
For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons have given birth to him. And, and, and basically, as Naomi's holding this baby, she's got to be in her mind just being reminded, you know what? God did not forget me. God did not forget me. When, when all seemed lost and, and everything that made her okay, everything she leaned on for security was taken away from her and her heart was broken and her future was hopeless, God was at work doing something. He was doing something in her and for her that she couldn't imagine. And I can only imagine that she's holding this little boy that she's just remembering it and, and rehearsing the blessing of God. See, when Naomi realized that to move forward, I must be willing to turn around and give up control, things began to change for her. Her grandson, Obed, was the grandfather of a man by the name of David, a man who would become king of Israel he would write most of the Psalms. He would become one of the most influential people in the nation of Israel's history. And here's what's really cool. 28 generations later, after Obed went to Jesse, went to David, 28 generations later, there was another baby born in Naomi's line. And he would not just save Israel, but he would offer salvation to the entire world. And this baby's name was Jesus. And, and I can only imagine that as Naomi is, is sitting there and she's holding Obed and she is, is just so happy that she has this grandson, she would have never imagined that in the midst of all the loss, in the midst of all the tragedy, in the midst of all the purposelessness, that God was doing a work that would redeem her, but would also bring salvation to the entire world, all because she made a decision to turn back and go home. When she decided that, hey, the direction we went is wrong, I'm going to turn around and go back, it was the catalyst to God doing some crazy, amazing stuff for the rest of history. And, and I want you to, no matter where you are, whether you're a person that is a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're, you're someone that's skeptical of faith, maybe you're investigating faith, I feel pretty confident to say that none of us wants to move into our life and move into our life and have to admit that the direction that we're going is wrong. I mean, none of us, we, we all want to move forward in life and none of us want to come to a place in our life where we have to admit that, hey, the direction I'm moving, the way I'm going, the decisions that I'm making aren't helping me move forward. I am wrong. None of us want to admit that. No matter where we are in our journey of faith, that's just something that for all of us, we don't want to admit that we're going the wrong way. I mean, it, and you, every, every, if you're married in here, every marriage has a story about this driving. I mean, we all have a story where we, whoever was driving the car, didn't want to look at the map. The GPS is wrong. 
or at least that's what they, and so they, they decide, hey, I'm going to keep going until an hour or two later, if hopefully it doesn't go much longer than that, where you just come to a spot and you have to say, oh, okay, we actually did drive 60 miles the wrong way. That's on me. No, no one wants to admit that when you're driving and nobody wants to admit that in life. It wasn't easy for Naomi to say, hey, when my husband moved us to Moab and we moved our whole family, we were wrong. We went the wrong direction. It wasn't easy for her to do that. But it was when she did that, when she decided that, hey, we're going the wrong way, it became a catalyst to her future. And, and when we're, and, and we're all like this, let's be honest, when we are too proud to say we're going the wrong way, we bring on into our life unneeded struggle and, and we waste time. We waste our life. Until we realize that to move forward, I must be willing to turn around and give up control. We will continue to struggle and miss out on God's best. See, turning around is an action. Turning around is, is saying, hey, the direction I'm going is wrong. The, the choices I've made are wrong. The, the, the journey that I'm on, the decisions I've made haven't been the best one. It's, it's that action of, of admitting that and saying, I'm going to turn around. And that is much easier said than done. In fact, the, the scriptures say in James chapter 4, James, who is actually Jesus' brother, he said this. He said, God opposes the proud. When, when I'm too proud to admit I'm going the wrong way, not only am I screwing up my own life, but God is actually opposing me while I'm opposing myself. See, when we turn around, it's an action, but when we give up control, it's an attitude. When, when we say that, hey, God, my way isn't best, your way is best. My way isn't worth me trusting in, but your way is worth me trusting in. And so I'm going to turn around. It's an action. I'm going to turn from the way I'm going, and I'm going to turn around, but I'm going to give up control. I'm going to stop saying my way's best, and I'm going to say that your way is best, and I'm going to follow you. That's an attitude. It's an attitude of dependence on God and trust that his way is the best way. And, and, and again, extremely easy to talk about, really hard to live out. And, and it's tough. It's tough when we're going a direction and when we, we and let's be honest, we, we all put on our best face. When our life is a mess, we still don't want other people to know it's a mess. So we, man, we still push like, oh, I'm still going to go this way. I'm going to go this way. Even when we come to a point where we know we're going the wrong way and it's screwing up our life, we still have trouble turning around. And Naomi, the, the catalyst for her whole life changing and literally history changing was her decision to turn around and give up control. Just think, think about the different areas of our life. What could our marriage look like if we were willing to turn around and say, hey, the way I've been doing this isn't best. The way I've been treating you in this marriage isn't best. And that's hard to say. The, the selfishness I've had in this marriage, it's not the best way. 
It's hard to, but, but just think what, what our marriage would look like if, if we examined our marriage and, and said, hey, are we doing this the right way? And if we're not, we're going to turn around. What would, what would it look like? What, what kind of impact could you make in the world if you were willing to turn around and say, what I have been pursuing is not good. I no longer will allow the dollar to control me, but I'm giving control to God. Like, like what would our life look like if we were, and this is so hard. Hey, the things I've been pursuing, the things I've been making, kind of the top things in my life, the things I've been spending all my time and finances on, they're maybe not the best things. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn around. I'm going to give up some control that I've, I've held on to trying to micromanage my life because I don't trust God. And I'm going to hand it over to God and trust him. How, how could that change your life? It changed everything for Naomi. It changed everything for Ruth. When they were willing to say, hey, we're going the wrong direction. We're turning around. We're going to go the right direction. And we're not going to try to control our circumstances, even when our circumstances get hard. Because, man, especially if you grew up in church, I mean, I did. Shame on us. When, when, when things get hard for people that are followers of Jesus, man, we do our best to get out from under them. And we try to find a Bible verse to attach to it to justify our action. Like, hey, this is getting hard. It can't be God's will. So I'm going to get out from under this thing and let me go find a Bible verse I can use out of context to kind of justify this in my mind. Because we don't like, man, we want to control things. We want to make life easy. And it's that point in our life where we say, hey, maybe it's not God's will for everything to be easy all the time. Maybe there's a depth that God wants to take me to that I won't find if I continually try to control my own life. So what, what, what could life look like? What could your business look like? What could your marriage look like? What could you look like as a parent if you were willing to say, I was wrong, I've been doing some things the wrong way, and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to give up control and let God control. Maybe, maybe a better question is this. What if you continue down the path you're going? Like, what if you don't? What if you, what if you hold control of your life? And what if you continue to pursue what you're pursuing? And maybe you're pursuing all the right things. But, but what if, what's the end game? If you pursue the things that you're pursuing and you control your life the way you're controlling, what's the end game? What's this thing look like? See, see, for Naomi, she got tired of hearing about God blessing other people's lives and her not experiencing it herself. And she said, I'm tired of hearing that, hey, it's getting better in Israel, so I'm turning around and I'm going back. And for some, it's sad, but man, their whole life is always hearing about God doing something in somebody else's life, but never experiencing it in their own life because they're in control. And God has better. God has better. I can only imagine that Naomi today, as she's in heaven with her great, 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 great grandchild, Jesus, is probably pretty glad she made the decision 
to turn around and give up control. And so as I close, let me, let me ask you this question. Is there something in your life that you need to turn away from? Is there some, maybe it's something that, that's small. Maybe it's something that's huge. And, and you know, man, if you keep pursuing, you keep going this direction, that it's not going to end well. And, and have you come to a spot in your life where you're, you're tired of just hearing about what God's doing in other people's life when you're not experiencing it in your own life? Are you willing to just say, you know what? I was wrong. I was going the wrong direction. I'm turning around and I'm trusting that your way is best. It's a hard thing to do. But, and I said this last week. One day into eternity, we'll all be glad that we turned around if that's what God tells us to do. One, one, forget one day, one hour. One hour into eternity, if we decide to keep going a direction that we know is not what God wants, it might not take an hour for us to regret it. And so let's take Naomi and Ruth's story off the pages of Scripture and let's think about our own life and just say, hey, is there some place in my life I need to turn around and I need to give control to God? And by giving control to God, here's what I'm saying. Your way is better than my way. I'm going to do it your way because I trust you. And I know for some of us, and maybe you're watching online, that is really hard to do because you've had people in your life that have been terrible to you. You've had people in your life that you trusted and they've abused you in all kinds of different ways. They've broken your trust. They've broken your heart. And so for you to give up control to a God that you can't see is hard because the people that you can see have been jerks to you. And I'm asking you this morning to lean in to the story of Ruth and Naomi and give control over to God. As hard as that is. And, and God, you can tell God that. God, this is hard for me. I need your help. Give it up. Give, give control over. And I promise you, you won't regret it. And you know what? I need to be reminded of that because I'm, I'm, man, I like to control things. But our life is not best when we control it. It is best when God does. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for our time this morning, Lord. I, I thank you for the people here at City Walk, Lord. I know some are followers of you, Lord. There's people that are maybe here and they're investigating faith. Maybe they're not quite sure what they believe about the whole Jesus thing. Lord, there's some people here that are coming back to church maybe after a decade because, man, their last experience at church was not good. And Lord, I pray that if, if, if at all possible, that we can just maybe set aside the, the religious baggage that we've had in our past and that we could take a fresh look at what life might look like if we gave control of our life over to you. And Lord, I pray if there's some of us here that there's some things that we're pursuing, whether we're a teenager or whether we're a grandmother or a grandpa, 
I pray if there's some things that we're pursuing that aren't going to lead us to your best, I pray that you would point those out to our heart and that we would have the courage to turn around. And Lord, I pray that as we turn around, that you would do incredible things both in our life and in the lives around us. And Lord, it's, it's so hard for us to understand, but one little decision we make in our life can literally change generations. And I pray, God, that we would obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.